Today, we're taking a journey to the icy skies of Alaska, where one of the most compelling and well-documented UFO encounters in history took place. Get ready to explore the perplexing case of JAL Flight 1628, an incident that continues to ignite debates about extraterrestrial life and the existence of otherworldly motherships. So make sure your seatbelts are securely fastened and join us as we venture into the cold Alaskan skies where a bewildering encounter would forever change the lives of an unsuspecting cargo flight crew and challenge our understanding of the unexplained. The JL Flight 1628 incident is a story you won't want to miss. We'll see you on the inside. You are now entering the realm of the Freaky Deaky, an unsuspecting stop at the crossroads of fantasy and reality, where the frayed edges of make-believe seep into this cookie-cutter, white-picket world you've been led to believe is far from extraordinary. What you're about to hear are true stories. <clears throat> Alleged true stories. Christian, just... <sighs> okay. Tales of the strange and inexplicable thought only to exist in film and folklore. Although difficult to accept, we do not know everything about this reality, about time or space, what lies beneath the ocean's depths. And try though we might, the unchanging truth remains. There are some things we legitimately cannot explain logically. the freaky deaky as always i am your host scott and i'm joined by my co-host and father-in-law and wet blanket christian christian how are you doing i'm i'm doing well i'm securely cub no wow i'm doing well apparently not yeah (laughs) yeah i got this blanket wrapped around me there you go it'll it'll be wet soon it's already it's already soaked. If you haven't already, be sure to follow us on social media at Freaky Deaky Pod on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and at TFT Paranormal on TikTok if that is more your speed. If you have a story of your own that you'd like to share with the show or have heard on the show, send it into the gang at thefreakydeaky.com. The next episode in the chamber is another listener story episode, so we love rolling those out as well. So keep that hot fire coming. On to our sponsored content. Today's episode is brought to you by Two Clueless Morons in a Converted Garage. If you'd like to help keep the show alive, head on over to thefreakydeaky.com and check out the merch shop. Until we get crazy sponsors on board, you know, you guys are kind of floating this podcast. But the end game is we want to do it full time and you can help us do that. Bring your friends to the show. Invite everyone you know on social media, every single person from your first job boss to your great great grandmother to come check out the show. In the meantime, we're going to get into the episode. New toys. I know. Oh, yeah. I should also mention this episode is kind of an experiment. Shout out to my buddy, John Imperial, for the severe upgrade in studio equipment. So we're now rocking one of the Roadcaster Pros, and I am messing around with all that stuff, and it's all new to me, and so I'm not too familiar with literally anything going on. So if you hear extra breaths or weird sounds or whatever, I'm just working through the kinks, you know? Instead of doing this during the week, I just don't have any time, so we have to literally do it while we record an episode, and that's fine, folks. But now we can get into the episode. Christian, take it away. Christian, it still seems like it's right here. Can you please take it away? 
Christian, all I hear is swallowing and mouth noises. What's going on over all there? All I hear over there is ice sloshing around. Ice sloshing around, yep. On November 17, 1986, an ordinary cargo flight took off from Paris, France, en route to Narita International Airport in Japan with a stopover in Reykjavik, Iceland, and Anchorage, Alaska. The flight was piloted by ex-fighter pilot Captain Kenju Tarashi with more than 10,000 hours of flight experience. He was in the cockpit's left-hand seat. His co-pilot was Takanori Tamafuji. He sat in the right-hand seat, and the flight engineer was Yoshia Sakuda. Nailed it. And I want to apologize ahead of time. For what, Christian? Everything has been so buttery smooth. For any any of the names I mess up. But I do have a fun fact about this cargo flight. They oh, were, yeah? They were carrying French wine. Man, that was so far the opposite of a fun fact. I do not feel like I was entertained at all by that. Uh, well, you don't drink wine. I do. If you would have been like chickens or, you know, a farm of tadpoles, uh-huh. yeah, back, oh, that is interesting. Very fun. Very fun. Little trinkets of the Eiffel Tower. Mm. No, it was wine. As wine charms around the bottles, probably. Yes. The Anchorage Air Route Traffic Control Center contacted flight JAL 1628 at 5.09 Alaska time. The 747 was about 104 miles northeast of Fort Yukon, which is about 800 miles south of Prudhoe Bay. The flight controller asked the pilot to adjust his heading so the plane would pass north of Fort Yukon and Fairbanks. The co-pilot turned the plane to the left about 15 degrees. Captain Tarashi, again sitting on the left-hand side of the cockpit, saw unidentified lights out of his window to the left and below. He thought they were military planes and ignored them. Alaska, being near the Soviet Union, often had military jets in the air. After a few minutes, he realized that these unidentified aircraft were pacing him. Flight 1628 contacted Anchorage Center twice, asking if there were any aircraft in the area. The response was there were no military aircraft in the area, and radar did not pick up any civilian aircraft. The lights began to move erratically. The lights were distant enough that the crew wasn't worried. He thought it might be a UFO as the lights were still moving strangely. The crew were shocked when two spaceships, and that's what Turashi used in his report. Hey, uh, I mean, spaceship kind of fits the bill. Yeah. You know? Two spaceships appeared directly in front of the 747 shooting off lights. Pew, 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 pew. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my Whoa, what's happening? Sound you need for that thing over there. Yeah. The cockpit was lit up by the lights and Turashi felt the heat from the craft's thrusters. Then three to seven seconds later, the fire, like from jet engines, stopped and became a small circle of lights as they began to fly in level flight. As they began to fly. Christian, what are these crafts doing out here? Fly in level. They began to fly level at the same speed as they were, as we were, he said. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm also going to be experimenting with some sound effects. I apologize. That was crickets, if you were wondering. I don't think they were wondering. I think they knew. I just wanted to announce it again. The middle of, of the body of the ship sparked an occasional stream of lights like a charcoal fire. Its shape was square, flying 500 feet to 1,000 feet in front of us, very slightly higher in altitude than us. Okay, I feel that. Am I right? Yeah. It is impossible for any man-made machine to make a sudden appearance in front of a jumbled jet that is flying 910 kilometers per hour. Um, quick interjection. I have a question. What is a jumble jet? <laughs> in front of a jumbo <laughs> jet that is flying at 910 kilometers hmm. per hour. Nice. And to move along in form- formation 
paralleling our aircraft, but we did not feel threatened or in danger. Honestly, we were simply astounded. I have no idea why they came so close to us. The ships looked like they, they were stopped in one place in front of us after this move from the left side of the plane to the front. And in his written testimony, Tarashi thought the spaceships fired jets to kill the inertia, which is the momentum, of their high-speed maneuver. So that's why they kind of appeared to stop. Right now, one ship was higher than the other one. Then three to seven seconds later, a fire that looked like it was coming from jet engines stopped and turned into a small circle of lights. We probably would have felt more in danger and would have been prepared to escape if the spaceships were shaking or unable to stop themselves. It was at this time that the pilot concluded he was looking at something really unusual. They were still both at about the 11 o'clock position. Continuing the description, the lights were like flames coming off multiple rocket exhaust ports arranged in two rectangular arrays, according to the captain's drawing made shortly after the, the event and again two months later. He compared them to the output exhaust like the Challenger space shuttles as it took off. He described the colors as amber and whitish. He stated that the numerous lights were exhaust on the engines, which were lined up all the way. When they were blasting recoil, the jets were so strong that I could see the individual lights and their arrangement because it was so bright. However, once the recoil blast stopped, the speed was absolutely steady, not faster, not slower, and I could see them, the individual lights or exhaust ports, very clearly. Besides the lights of the exhaust ports, the captain also reported seeing sparks like fire when using gasoline or carbon fuel. By this, he may have meant brief burst of yellowish colors. The co-pilot, Takanori Tamafuji, compared the numerous lights to, or flames to Christmas assorted lights with a salmon color. He said, I remember red or orange and white landing light, just like a landing light, and a weak green blinking. The intensity wasn't constant, but rather it pulsated. He had no doubt that he was seeing some sort of aerial object or objects just ahead and to the left of the plane. He also compared the clarity of the lights to see a night light head-on traffic, at which time it is impossible to see the lights on the approach on the approaching aircraft and we cannot see the total shape, which seems like something you wouldn't really experience if you're a pilot because big aircraft shouldn't be that close together. Yeah, it'd be like a sore thumb stick yeah. out. You're like, oh, hey, whoa, hey now. Are we talking cloaking? Some kind of cloaking device, maybe? It's hard to tell. I mean, it, it doesn't seem like it to me because this Cause whole, that doesn't exist. This whole incident seems very obvious, like these things wanted the pilots to see. Which is weird. Do they choreograph that? You think aliens are out there back? Okay, and then we're going to split to the left and right. We're going to go up, alley-oop, come back down. That'd be... It's probably something they practice in their alien flight simulator. Yeah. Like, we're going to run an F1, except it's not English, so it's going to be like a zeep, slurp, flurp, and you're going to be like, yeah, oh, the, the F1, gotcha. They're like, fly like Tom Cruise. Yeah, that's what they're saying. That's what everybody says. Hmm. Those movies are, are great. Let's not glorify Tom Cruise on this podcast. I'm not. The I'm man is a loony Christian. I'm, I'm, I'm glorifying the movie, Top Gun, classic. Wow. And that concludes our advertisement for Top Gun. Oh, God. We'd never get anything done if I used soundboards all the time. Yeah. Upon seeing the lights, he first thought he was seeing two small aircraft, but they were very strange because there were too many lights and it was so luminous. Subsequently, he had the feeling that it was larger than a normal aircraft. He thought the lights were a little bit lower than the altitude of the plane, while Captain Tarashi recalled the lights might have been a bit higher. Tamafuji pointed out that it is very difficult the to judge the altitude of head-on traffic. He summarized his impressions by saying, I'm sure I saw something. It was clear enough to make me believe that there was an oncoming aircraft. 
Of course, these aircraft were not oncoming. Instead, they were matching exactly the speed of the 747 jet. Weird. When the co-pilot made a drawing, his his drawing was similar to Captain Tarashi's. Did they make the drawing side by side, or was it? No, they were. It was it was separately during the. Very interesting. What's yours look like? The flight engineer who sat behind the co-pilot, Yoshio Sakuba, emphasized the lights in front of us were different from town lights. He described the colors as white or amber. After discussing the situation over the next 60 seconds or so, they decided to try to find out what was going on. Mr. Tamafuji, who was the voice of the aircraft, called AARPCC, which is the Anchorage Aircraft Traffic Controllers. Hmm, The more you know. Now, that's a fun fact, Christian. Yeah. That's a fun fact. You had a lot of fun with that one. It also, if you sound it out, it says Arctic. (laughs) (laughs) Alaskans in their sense of humor. Very hilarious. It was now nine minutes since Captain Tarashi had first noticed the lights on the two aircraft at the left of his plane, and it was probably only about a minute or two after the spaceships had abruptly appeared nearly in front of the jet, where they could be seen by the whole crew. At the time of the call, the two ships were still traveling one upon the other. Captain Tarashi decided to take a picture of them. He asked Sakuba to get the camera. His camera bag was placed behind his seat, behind mine, and I handed it to him. He could not take pictures, so I placed the back camera bag beside my seat again. When asked why the captain couldn't take pictures, Sakuba responded, Wells' camera is an Alpha 7000 with the film being ASA 100. He could not operate it well. There was not a lot of light coming into that, I imagine. Probably not. I mean, the operating procedure of the camera was not well understood. The captain recalled the attempt at photographing the lights as follows. I thought perhaps it was one of those things called UFOs and taking a photo might help identify the object later. I asked to bring forward my camera bag that was placed in the rear of the cockpit and began to take a picture. The area in which the plane was flying was unchanged but the lights were still moving strangely. I had ASA 100 film in my camera but the lens kept adjusting and never could set focus. I... <laughs> oh my god. Oh, God. <laughs> Sorry, for anyone that's annoyed by sound effects, I'm just, test- again, testing everything out. Yeah. If if it really annoys you, let us know. Yeah, and we will definitely only keep the sound effects for TFD After Dark. That sounds... Yeah, I know, it does. And that fits the brand of the show, Christian. Yeah. <laughs> so. I changed autofocus to manual focused and pressed the shutter, but this time the shutter would not close. Then our aircraft began to vibrate, and I gave up taking a photo. I placed the camera back in the camera bag and concentrated on observing the lights. It's like something was messing with this camera because the shutter Mm. doesn't usually stay open. Yeah, but that's like... Even in the, especially in the 80s, even a simple camera, the shutter is pretty... Isn't that kind of like the strangeness of what you see in a lot of these, like any kind of Bigfoot lore, any kind of UFO lore, any like the crazy out there stuff? There's always some malfunction with the camera, which tells me that's got to be a spiritual thing. That can't that can't be technological. I don't know, man. The blurry Bigfoot pictures is probably just people not knowing how to use a camera. Sure. I'll give you blurry Bigfoot, but I'm talking like different times where uh, I'm not even going to go down the rabbit hole of crazy shit that happens with electronics around anything outside the norm, but... I think people have heard some stories. And the plane did start to vibrate at this time, so maybe... And that probably wasn't a built-in coin function either. That was something that shouldn't have been happening. A built-in what? Coin function. Like, you know, the beds that used to vibrate, you'd put a quarter in or whatever. Oh, I get it. Yeah. So the plane was vibrating, so I'm put a... You know what? I'm, I don't have to explain the jokes to people. And we didn't mention this, but some of the lights look like strobe lights coming off the ship. We kind of did, but... 
There's just some like weird 80s ravers out there. I mean, it is the 80s. Did they have ravers in the 80s? I thought that started Hell, in the 90s. Oh, yeah, they had to have. There's been ravers back to, like you like to say, ancient days. What do you think those big old were, Christian? You think that wasn't a rave? I think it was a rave. You have to bleep that out. We're a family show. Are we a family show, Christian? I'm pretty sure that word will. They'll bleep it out, but I don't think we're a family show. And also, I checked our age demographics, and you know who mainly listens to us? My age people. Like, up to 60. It's like 44 to 60 or something like that. We got like eight listeners under 20 years old. I it promise. changes, though, because I checked some other stats on it, and it goes back and forth, depending on uh, maybe this topic. If you are between 18 and 30, please tell all of your friends to check out the show. Yep. But it kind of fits in because I'm an old soul at heart. I get along with old people. Super great. Shout out to all the old listeners. Thank you. After learning the colors of the strobe lights, I'm just going to say the Arctic here in Anchorage, the air traffic controllers, began to ask about the flying additions, which were normal, and the clouds, which were below the aircraft. We saw clouds near the mountain below us, no clouds mid to upper air, and the air current was steady. The repeated question about the clouds caused Taraoshi to wonder why the con controller was so interested in the clouds. He speculated perhaps controllers were concerned that it, an increase... Oh, this one. This one's interesting. I'll be the judge of that. When I was reading this, this reminded me a little bit of our episode on Project Bluebeam. He speculated that perhaps the controllers were concerned that an increased use of improved laser beams using cloud was creating moving images. Like this is '86, and he's like, "He's like, is it laser beams? Perhaps." He's like, so, and he's already using, like, talking about the Project Blue Beam yeah. theories. Not that it, they're related, but it just was interesting. But what if they're related, Christian? They could be. They could be. That's right. In the minds of a believer, they could be. Of course, there were no laser beams in the wilds of Alaska. I mean, this is way up. In the wilds. Moving toward Fairbanks. So there's not much up there. The VHF communications, both in transmitting and receiving, were extremely difficult for about 10 to 15 minutes while the little ships came close to us and often interfered with communication and the Anchorage Center. However, communication conditions became good as soon as the ships left us. There were no abnormalities. Abnormal. Abnormal. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> such a child yeah we'll be right back after these messages were those already programmed in there or did you add them no it's a live show christian oh yeah <laughs> thank you crowd yeah no these were programmed in. trust me my sound effects would be a little more on brand okay there were no there were no abnormal abnormal Abnormalities. There were no abnormalities. Christian, you've been saying abnormalities for about five minutes. Let's I get just to said it. it right, and you just like no, ruined it. No, you think you said it right, but it still sounded weird. It sounded muddy. It sounded very muddy, Christian. There were no abnormalities. God. There were no abnormalities. See, even, were, even when you think <laughs> when you think it sounds right, there's something off there. No, whatever. There were no abnormalities in the equipment of the aircraft. When he was interviewed, the captain was asked to describe the type of interference he heard. He described the interference as some kind of like uh, jamming. It was just this noise sounded like za-za. I pictured like gears grinding kind of, you know what I mean? Like, but electrical. You pictured wrong. No. Well, that's a za-za sound too, Christian. Go grind some gears. This isn't radar from MASH. This is why our listener base is so old, because your references, dude. Watch the Disney Channel for a few minutes and come back with fresh ones, all right? I mean, there's radar. We're talking radar here. There's hmm. All make... of our buzzwords for this show is like references to 1940s TV programs. I think that's 70s. 
It was like my parents' favorite show. The captain decided to use the 747's radar to see the UFO, since air traffic control could not see it. Hiroshi wrote, I thought it would be impossible to find anything on an aircraft radar, radar if a large ground radar did not show anything, but I judged the distance of the object visually and it was not very far. When he turned on the radar, it came up on screen. A large green round object had appeared at seven or eight miles, which is 13 to 15 kilometers away. Riveting. Yeah. You're, you're welcome, Europe. We did it. And also Canada. No, also everywhere else in the world, except for the United States. Yeah, also everywhere else in the, in the world, except the United States. Yeah, we should have, we should, we should use the same measuring system. Moving on. We reported to Anchorage Center that our radar caught the object within seven or eight miles in the 10 o'clock position. We asked them if they could catch it on the ground radar, but it did not seem they could catch it at all. During the January interview, Tarashi recalled the, that the radar detection occurred about 15 minutes after he first saw the lights. Until about 5.25 p.m. So, he, and according to the report, he was only a little off by the time. The AARTC contacted the Air Force at Elmendorf Regional Operational Control Center. There might be, be some, some letters in here later on so that it's easier to say. Elmendorf. Just say J-Bear. Isn't that J-Bear? Yeah, it isn't, is it a joint operation base? I don't know if it was then, though. Oh. Well, you can call it J-Bear now. People get it. I'm just going to go with Elmendorf, but you can call it J-Bear. I'll but, call it e-money. Yeah. Either way, they wanted to see if they had any flights in the area and ask if they could take a look at the radar. Elmendorf would usually keep track of military flights along with any Soviet flights testing boundaries. We'll call it ROCK now. R-O-C-C. R-O-C-C picked up a blip on the radar where Turoshi was seeing it, and it was at the same altitude. The captain picks up the narrative. Far in front of us, there were lights increasing from the U.S. Military Eielson Air Force Base and Fairbanks. Each was about 40 miles away at this time. The lights were still following us at exactly the same distance. However, it was too dark to identify by only the lights whether or not they were the same spaceships that were flying in front of us a few minutes ago. It's kind of interesting that through this whole thing, he's calling them spaceships. What, what would you prefer he called them? <clears throat> I mean, I bet you at some point, well... A little bit of foreshadowing. I think he takes some heat for jumping to that conclusion, as pilots did back then. They're going to be like, what, were you drunk? Yeah. Classic. And he was like, yeah, but only as much as usual. It seemed that we were flying on the lighter side and gave them the advantage of being on the dark side. So basically what they're saying is when you're up in the air, especially over Alaska, there is a light and a dark side mm. because of where the sun and the moon is, even at night. That would make sense. That is from the viewpoint of the supposed mothership. The airplane was silhouetted against the light western sky, but the crew of the jet couldn't see the outline of the mothership because it was silhouetted against the dark sky in the southeast. As the, the plane approached Fairbanks, the captain saw two very bright lights appear suddenly from the north, perhaps four or five mountains away, he said. Yeah, that's what we do in Alaska. <laughs> distance is judged by mountains. I don't know if you've, you haven't flown up that far north, have you? No, not that far. Those mountains are huge. I huge. can believe that. I yeah. mean, like, it's just amazing how huge those mountains are up there. Yeah. He speculated at the time what these might be. He couldn't identify all the normal ground lights because the flight above Alaska ter territory is generally in the daytime, and it's confusing to identify the kind of lights on the ground. He finally decided that the lights were along the Alaska pipeline. He said, we arrived at the sky above Fairbanks. The lights of this city were were bright to the eyes that were used to the dark. The cockpit lights had been turned off to eliminate window reflections of the internal lights. So just that's one of the things that skeptics are going to say, and they clear yeah. that up. 
But unfortunately, like, look, as someone that has looked at many, many a UFO amateur picture, I'm going to say 80% of them are there was a light on in the room behind them. Yeah. And they're like, do you guys see this? And I, you're like, dude, it literally, you can see, oh my God. I remember I've d- I did that one time. I'm like, what the hell is that light? And I was like looking at it and looking at it. And then I realized it was a reflection, a light that wasn't even on. We were just above the bright city lights and we checked the pale white light behind us. Alas, it's hard for me to imagine somebody flying. Saying alas? Yeah, for Japanese airlines saying alas, which makes me wonder if it's just a translation thing. Probably mm-hmm. like, look, or whoa, or However you say that Gee in Japanese. Golly. Yeah. I'm not even going to try because it it'll sound very racist. Yeah, it will. So. There was a silhouette of a gigantic spaceship. We must run away quickly. And just as a framer, just to show you where this thing was, the mothership spaceship was behind them. They didn't really mention that earlier, but yeah, they had the two in front of them, but there was a mothership behind them. Tsukuba called in. Anchorage Center, the JAL-1628 is requesting a change of course to right 45 degrees. Kind of makes sense, but also it's airline talk, so or flight talk, so I don't really understand it completely. Yeah, try to keep up, folks. Yeah, it felt time. It felt like a long time before we received permission. Actually, it only took 15 seconds to get permission, as the transcript of the Arctic tape recording shows. We checked our rear, and there was still a ship following us. This is JAL-1628, again requesting for a change of course, 45 degrees to the right. He got the impression that the object was bigger than his airplane. So big, in fact, that in public statements, he compared it to the size of an aircraft carrier. That's That's pretty big. Yeah, that's a mighty large craft in the sky. Yeah, which is interesting because... Usually you don't see mighty large crafts in the sky. Exactly. Well, now you do, but are they real? But it's funny because as I'm researching this... I told you I came across another subject Hmm. that says that we basically have these kind of ships in space that we made about this size. So a future episode, we will cover it, I promise. Probably after the listener's story, we'll do that episode. I don't want to give too much away here, but that's a fascinating fascinating story. Yeah, so if you're a fan of boring stories, you guys probably won't want to tune in for that one. Yeah, yeah. Some people like boring stories, not us. Hmm. He could still see the horizontal pale white lights, but he could now also see other structure. In a drawing he made a month and a half after the event, he drew a shape like a walnut with the fat rim where the upper and lower halves of the nut joined. An exceedingly crude depiction follows. Uh, I'll clip that. Don't use the exceedingly crude depiction because I didn't include um, that. You know what? We'll see. Maybe I maybe I keep it in there. Well. Maybe I just drop it down, Chris. I mean, a crude Description goes along with the name of our podcast, yeah. I guess. And you described it as a nut already, so yeah, off to a bang and start. <laughs> the mothership was behind and to the left before the right turn. The fact that it disappeared very soon after the p- plane started the turn indicates that the mothership did not make a turn on the outside of the turn of the plane. On the other hand, the captain and co-pilot recall that they looked out the right-hand side to see if it would have reappear during the turn but they did not see it therefore it may have trailed the aircraft during the turn but it did not stay directly behind the aircraft after the turn because it crap crapton <laughs> because a crapton he must not be a very good captain <laughs> <laughs> but it did not stay directly behind the aircraft after the turn because the captain recalled that after the turn had been completed they were <laughs> again heading southward i'm gonna i'm gonna level with you right now 
the last three minutes, I didn't understand a word of. There was like turn, left turn, there was a right turn, someone was behind a turn, there's three more turns. And then I'm like, you know what? This doesn't, I don't need this. I don't need to remember the turns. Hopefully someone out there grasped it, but me, I'm like getting lost in the sauce over here with turns. I feel you, man, because I've been through this many times. I'm completely turned out. I can't figure out which direction I'm going. It turns out we're pretty tired of the turns. Yeah. This All is, the turn talk has tired us out. Yeah. This is why we are not pilots. Amongst other things. Or pirates. Because, you know, pirates have to turn too. <laughs> there, 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 there you go is that what you were looking for christian did you want oh man i wasn't looking for it yeah. but i got it there you go oh, shit. i was wondering when i was going to use the rim shot <laughs> all right i got to get myself under control again there you go it yep. caught me off guard Whew. let's hope we're done with all the turning turns out we're not the conclusion that the object may have trailed behind during the turn is consistent with the radar report made at the time while the plane was turning, the rock ROCC confirmed an, an anomalous radar target in the vicinity, vicinity of the plane. Military assistance was offered by control. Captain Turashi's immediate reaction to the offer of military assistance was to decline it. In his testimony, he recalled the event and explained his reaction. That would be kind of weird. I could see how people would be like a little sketched out by that. Be like, why, if you see this gigantic thing following you, there's spaceships in front of you. Why would you re or deny military assistance? Well, he's gonna he's gonna tell us. He better tell us, Christian, because I want answers. JL sixteen twenty eight. This is Anchorage Center. Would you like to request scramble for confirmation? So basically, they want to scramble jets to confirm what is following them. Hmm. How quick does that happen? That's within like a couple minutes, right? This is like 10 minutes in, I think. Oh, no, I mean like how quick the, if you scramble oh. jets, it's within like a couple minutes that they're there, right? I believe they have the jets up there in Fairbanks, so it would be pretty quick. Yeah. And those things, especially in the 80s during the Cold War, are ready to fly. And right around Top Gun, are you kidding me? They were super ready for True. it. True. They're like, put me in. Yeah. Goose, let's load them up. Let's fly upside down and take a picture of the Russians. There you go. This is what the captain told them. The Anchorage Center, this is JAL 1628. We would not request scramble. He says, we turned down the offer quickly. I knew that in the past there was a U.S. military fighter called the Mustang that had flown up too high for confirmation and a tragedy had happened to it. Which is interesting because I was just watching the, it's a newer series, but it's old now called Project Blue Book. Mm. And they show that in, I think, the first episode. So one of the P-51s? Yeah. Mm. That's exactly what it is. P-51 Mustang. Would you look at that? Your boy also knows a few things. Impressive. Even the F-15 with the newest technology had no guarantee of safety against the creature with an unknown degree of scientific technology. So in the article. So he was just worried that they'd get shot out of the sky or something like that? Yeah, that something would happen to him. Still, I mean, me, I'd be freaked out in that situation. I'd be like, send up everything we got. If you can lift that aircraft carrier itself up here to fight the big one, even better. Yeah, for sure. And some of this information I should mention is made up. What, Christian? No. Okay. Comes from akpnfreeforums.net, which is an Alaska website with local, with local reporters. With local reporters? Loco. Mm. <laughs> El Pollo Loco. Okay. Now we're getting off track. Yes. His reference to a Mustang flying high and a tragedy may, may be a reference to the Mantell case of January 1948 when Mantell flew his F-51 to such a high altitude that he apparently blacked out while chasing some huge shiny object that was very high in the sky. 
This was subsequently explained with a high degree of probability of being correct as a high altitude balloon. Mm. That sounds fishy. Topical. A United Airlines flight that was nearby would be asked to observe the flight, but the large ship following had dropped back and was not seen when the two planes were close enough to observe. It is quite likely that the JAL sighting would never have been known to the general public, nor would it have been investigated if it hadn't been for the interest by the American news media in an odd story out of Japan. On December 29, 1986, the Kyoto Press in Japan published a news story about the Japan Airlines crew that had seen the UFO while flying over Alaska. How do you spell that press? Kyoto. K-Y-O-D-A. It's not Kyoto? could be Kyoto. Oh. Well, we have like eight listeners in Japan. Feel free to send in an email and let us know pronunciation-wise, because we're going to dive into Japanese folklore at some point, and we want to be ready. Yes, please, please help us. The Kyoto Press got the story as a result of the air crew talking to their friends, and someone alerted the press. On December 24th, the Kyoto Press contacted the public information officer at Anchorage, Paul Stuka. According to Stuka, as told... To Walter Andrus of MUFON, hmm. the, the first thing I got was a phone call from Kyoto News Service out of Japan. That was the day before Christmas, so it was December 24th, for anybody that doesn't know when they get their presents. Wow. They sent a correspondent over, and the correspondent said to me, you know that we've got some information on such and sh- such. Is it true? I said, well, yeah, and here's what we've got. On December, on the 29th after Christmas... After the Christmas holidays, the story must have been printed somewhere in Japan because the United Press International picked it up. Then the United Press reporter over here asked me the same question, and I told him the same thing. UPI reporter Jeff Berliner broke the story in the United States on December 29th. Numerous, numerous new, newspaper, Numerous newspapers. Yeah. No wonder they used to do that kind of stuff on Sesame Street. Yeah. Because those sometimes those words trip you up on the podcast, all the or, words. Yeah, literally every word. Yeah. Numerous newspapers reprinted the story, and the FAA headquarters in Washington, D.C. learned about it from the press reports. When the FAA headquarters called Anchorage for a full story, it learned that the radar tape had been saved, which was unusual since the tapes were generally reused after 30 days. The details after the incident became public are interesting. This next little bit comes from the Anchorage Press. So we went with some local newspaper. In a ni- local newspaper? <laughs> no, I can do that every time. Stop it. It's fine. It's fine. In 1986, John Callahan was FAA Division Chief of Accidents and Investigations Branch in Washington, D.C. A week after the JAL-1628 flight, he received a call from Alaska. It was basically, we got a problem call. You gotta love those. Yeah. He told them to get the data together. I wanted all the civilian and military discs that they had and all the tapes that they, ha- they had available and flown overnight to the sec text to the sex center to the and flown overnight to the, <laughs> and flown overnight to the tech center where I'm sitting, he said. And for those of you guys that are young enough, disc were what they used to use to store information on computers. Floppy disks. Yeah. Or was this before that? Might have been before that. No, I don't know. 86 might have been floppy disk. Floppy disks sound right. The military refused to send their tapes, but he got everything from the Anchorage traffic control. Traffic control, which was they call ATC here, 
Elmendorf's NORAD Regional Operations Control Center, which was ROC, and Captain Turashi. He also played a tape of the ATC radar sightings on a scope air traffic control. Didn't see the UFOs on the radar, but based on the conversation, the military were clearly tracking the UFOs. So they were aware of it the whole time. Yes. Well, that's at least comforting to some extent, but also they just keep that stuff under wraps. Like, give us the juicy, the hot goss, man. We need to hear it. Well, and to be fair to them a little bit, they may not have wanted to release what they had because then the Russians could see how their radar technologies worked, Mm. which makes a little sense. I mean, but how does that make sense? Just say you saw something. Don't say, well, this is exactly the radar we saw it on. This is how it happened. I think it's one of those things where they, they don't confirm or deny. So you can't really tell. Wow. And by not sending over their images on radar, it couldn't fall into somebody else's hands. And then the Russians would know how to evade it. Details reported by the military controller indicated that the UFOs were traveling thousands of miles per hour as they maneuvered in the airspace around the 747. The military controller had one other surprise finding. Near the end of the incident, when the United Airlines flight was asked to take a look, and and this is when Captain Chiroshi couldn't see the, the mother, the huge UFO, the mothership, and the United Airlines didn't see it either. Unbeknownst to both of them, the military radar clearly indicated that the UFO had tucked in and out of sight behind the United Airlines flight and had begun following it. After sitting through the presentation, Callahan's boss turned to him and said, don't talk to anybody until I give you the okay. Typical. The next day, his boss set up a briefing. According to Callahan, I brought all the people from from the tech center. We went upstairs. We had all kinds of boxes of data that we handed them. Printouts, it filled up the room. Your favorite, man. The old days. Tons of data. Yeah. I can see you pushing your glasses up now as we speak. (laughs) Time to analyze the data. That would be kind of fun, but I like the way it is now where you can just pull it up on a computer instead of having to dig through boxes. Yeah. What are we, cats? Exactly. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) That's that's probably the last rim shot of the episode, so I hope you folks have enjoyed it. Yes. I hope so. Oops. (laughs) Damn liar. They brought in three people from the FBI, three people from the CIA, and three people from Reagan's scientific study team, Reagan being the president at the time. And I don't know who the rest of the people were, but they were all excited. When they asked me what I thought, I told them that it looked like we had a UFO that was up there. As far as I was concerned, and Reagan's science team, as far as I was concerned, Reagan's science team were the ones that verified my own thoughts about it. They were very, very excited about the data. They said at the time that this was the only time, and they used the words, a UFO was ever recorded on radar for any length of time. As for Tarashi, he would be given a desk job because he had embarrassed the company. He would Mm. be reinstated a few years later. There were some bumbling attempts to explain it away as planets or the moon. Yeah, just a few planets and moons in our atmosphere dancing yeah. about, you know, you know, the, the the old stick. Which to me doesn't really work because pilots have see the planets in the moon all the time. That's yeah. not a, a simple, we can make that mistake on the ground, but pilots look at that stuff a lot more than us. Yeah, can you imagine a pilot being like, what is that? And you're like, oh, that right there? Yeah, that's the moon. Yeah. That's the moon. I'm kind of terrified to be on this plane now. If you've never <laughs> seen that, please take us down. Yes. Quickly, not too quickly. Yeah, don't crash us, but you you know, you get the gist. So, all these years later, we're still wondering what was following Flight 1628. I don't think we are, though. 
I'm not wondering. It's some weird shit up there. I mean, that's a very broad stroke. It is a very what broad. What was it? Well, it was weird shit, obviously. But there is a lot of, you know, I didn't really go into them, but some of the the normal skeptics really push back on this. Mm. Yeah, I heard a lot of hate for the dude. Like that's and that's kind of what's sad about people that if anything it turns people off to coming forward if you see something that you can't really explain. I mean, just recently it's been more okay to do th- do that, but before, yeah. you know, before a few years ago and it probably still, if you fly for a major airlines, you can't talk about this stuff. Yeah. Which, I don't know. You know what? It just doesn't make sense. The secrecy behind everything. Like, I get national security to a certain extent, but why is everything national security? Why is, hey, we saw a gigantic thing in the sky. Oh, that's national security. I don't the know Russians if this can't one is. know that we also have eyeballs that see giant things in the sky. I'm not sure this is completely <clears throat> national security as far as, like, airlines go, though. Yeah. Because the airlines want to make sure that their pilots appear sane. Yeah, but why does like coming forward with something automatically mean that you're insane? You know what I mean? Like there's such a weird stigma attached to any like any kind of UFO activity, conspiracies, cryptids, anything, man. You know why? Because of the term conspiracy and because everyone that has ever seen something weird has been made to sound crazy so that now whenever anything comes out, oh, that person is crazy. Well, I would, I would say some of it is as is a result of my parents' generation who didn't didn't or weren't really allowed to explore the, the supernatural or the unexplained quite the way we are now. Now, Christian, is that or is that not the greatest generation? I mean, it has been dubbed the greatest generation, but it was dubbed that way by somebody that was in that generation. So Yeah. That's you know, like me saying I'm the single greatest podcast producer. Exactly. That's what my generation of producers is, is I'm the single greatest one. Exactly. It's like that. So it's kind of biased. I mean, yeah. to me, there's no, no generation is greater than the other. We're just all generations. Yeah. They're the greatest at suppressing information. Starting wars. Yeah. They didn't say what they're the greatest at, but they're, they're the greatest in a lot of things. But, yeah. I mean. Hoarding money and oil and power. I mean, we should probably be careful though. That is our listener base. <laughs> te- technically, based. I think that's. Yeah. Our listener bases parents. Parents, wow. I mean, we have a broad listener base. I do, do see it fluctuate. I, I act like there's no young people listening, but there's at least 12. Yeah. There is. I've seen the numbers, but I was surprised to see that like 60% of our numbers are from like like 44 to 60. But I actually, like, like I said, I was checking some of the stats and I went, you know, like the last year and it is buried. I just, mm. I think it fluctuates. Yeah. And I feel like, I feel bad. Like I'm not trying to alienate the audience that we do have. For me, it's more like a marketing thing. Like, how am I going to reach our demographic? Now I know that when I'm looking for advertisements, I go to Werther's Originals. So we I need, go to AARP. I go to, <laughs> yeah. I go to all these, these hot, hot takes as far as marketing goes. So when we start getting advertisers, which will happen at some point, guys, I know who to, who to reach out to to get this, this show really. I'm going to get you guys what you want. Dooms, back dooms, braces and, and stay prep prepping. Yeah, doomsday prepping. No, but I do love old people. And I'm not calling you old, but if you identify as old, then... He always calls me old, and I do not identify as being old. And that's where we're at as a society. So so you you believe this one, right? Oh, yeah. I've heard this story so many times. Me too. And this is one of the ones, like the Travis Walton story, that almost makes me feel this is real. Should I hold for an applause break with that? Or you think... No, it's, no, it's not that important. Yeah. I th- I, so there's some things that lead me to lean away from the skepticism sometimes. Wow. And and those two stories mm-hmm. are two of the top ones that make me... There seems like there's something... Can I float something like a weird idea by you, UFO related? Go for it. 
You know how there's been any president that gets elected is like, I'm going to talk about UFOs, bang, 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 you know, and then they get in there and then they immediately leave that meeting with a sad face like, oh, I can't talk about this. What if the aliens already own us and they're harvesting all of our resources and shit? There's stories about, and maybe they're powered by water, but I remember, I forget, Unsolved Mysteries, I think on Netflix, their new season. I don't know if you got a chance to watch that. I think I did. There was an episode that was kind of similar to this, but with like mainly radar and like a bunch of people in town seeing these things. And there was a couple camping on the, it's like a beach of a lake or something like that. And they witnessed this UFO above hovering above the lake with like a whirlpool of water going up into it i remember seeing that one like it's harvesting like the, the water for some reason like why you know do these things run on water is it some kind of like energy thing i don't like, know but like what if they already own us and so when the presidents go in and they get briefed like okay here's the deal uh ufos are real and he's like oh hell yeah i knew it but we're also their slaves so we can't really talk about that. They get to kidnap us whenever they want. You can talk to Eisenhower about the whole thing. Like, what if that's the case? Like, and then they come out, they're all like, they get gray hair immediately and walk out of the room like, okay, well, I guess I got this then. I'm not really in control, but it's fine. I mean, I think it's it's not necessarily, a, it's a good lesson hmm. to us, especially those people in power that think they're all powerful. Maybe yeah. they're not. And maybe yeah. that's better than what we make it out to be. Hmm. Maybe that's why we haven't launched nuclear weapons yet since... All the rumors are that these things are very interested in nuclear weapons. Yeah. Maybe that's the only thing that have kept us in the Soviet Union and now Russia from attacking each other. And the uh, the ability to just turn off electronics and like nukes that were all lighting up or whatever that one UFO sighting was a long time ago. Yeah. There's a lot of crazy stuff that goes on like technologically with these things like where they I just I, I fail to understand. And obviously I'm just a you know moron in a garage at this point, but I, I fail to understand how a you can be however high above or you can be in the in fucking space and you can turn off electronics that are on the ground. You know, stuff that you can't just tap in. Is that like a Wi-Fi network? Is that? And it kind of makes me think like, you know, like Tesla and that whole energy web or whatever. Like, what if these people just know this stuff automatically? And so they tap into stuff that to us seems like witchcraft or magic, but it's just naturally accessible to those that know how to reach it. I mean, we can we can turn off that stuff. We can turn off a car. We can shut down a jet sure. airplanes with an EMP weapon. Which, sure, yeah. Which they, they do have portable EMP weapons. They just haven't used them yet because of the dangers in other ways. If say the police force is chasing a car and they use that EMP mm. weapon to shut down the engine, but they miss. Yeah. Knock someone to a tree. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? But so, I mean, there's, there is, I can imagine that there, if an advanced society or an advanced group of mm. aliens or humans would have that technology. Yeah. And that would explain a lot of the, the, the lack of evidence in a lot of ways. You know, again, some of that stuff, some of the dark stuff you were mentioning, I think we'll we'll do here in a couple episodes. Is it ever going to come to light, though? You know, like all these mysteries, like there's been mysteries for as long, as far back as we can remember now, UFOs especially. There's like a weird air about it where you're like, what's going on? You know, are we ever actually going to ever find out this information or is it just for the world's longest running secret? I think I don't ha have much hope in some ways because especially like our government has has lied to us so much about it mm. to the point where it's you know now with all the things coming out all the videos from the the, the what is it, the navy pilots and all that yeah. stuff like is the government going to admit that they lied to us is that good for them in the long run i mean yeah well they've already declassified some of that stuff right and it's already like they've come out and been like yeah we don't know what this is but that's according to a lot of people that's not true they know what it is 
Just a what? Um, you, you see, it's like being in a toxic relationship. You know, just tell me the truth. Were you making out dudes in a dumpster behind Wendy's or weren't you? And they're like, well, I mean, I went to Wendy's, but I didn't. It was a friend and we were doing mathematics. Can I can I reference another Tom Cruise movie? No. It's that part where Jack Nicholson says we can't handle the truth. And he says you he says you can't handle the truth. Jack Nicholson could handle it very well. Yeah. yeah but I'm going to say maybe that's in my opinion, that's what the government thinks <laughs> of us. And, and it's their own fault because they've lied so long, so much. Yeah. I mean, the reports are that religious people freak out. I don't think that's necessarily the case. No. I think that they would a lot of religious people would have to rethink, you know, some of it. Yeah. But they could still have faith if but, there's UFOs. Yeah. I mean, it's that's. Two different things. And even even religious people that look in, like, I mean, you hear me talk about crazy stuff that's in the Bible or that I believe to be referenced in the Bible and stuff. Like, it's not that far of a leap. I mean, there's going to be some religious people that are going to go out and do, like, the hale Bop Comet stuff. And that's fine. Let's get them off the planet yeah. as soon as possible. You know, that's Yeah, let's fine. help them out. I yeah. mean, let's help them help us. Yeah, exactly. So... I don't know. I think it's just all excuses. And like the the one, actually the one theory that I can grasp onto with that is that if you did have just a mass disclosure event, right? Mm -hmm. The one thing that you would probably struggle with is getting people to work the next day. That's for me, I feel like, like, and I thought about this too. I'm like, yeah, I guess if the government came out, I'd be like sitting and like said, oh, aliens and UFOs are real. I'd be sitting on the couch watching that broadcast and being like, and I'm just supposed to go make $10 an hour at McDonald's tomorrow. I, ha I have, I have the solution for that. You either release it at the beginning of the Christmas holidays or on a Friday. You could probably even do it on a Thursday because a lot of people don't go to yeah. work on Friday. Let people take it in for a few days. Yeah. Gotcha. I'm picturing, like, I was literally like, I was like, I can probably never go to work again. I'd be like, wait, you want me to go, not, not only go work, but you want me to pay taxes? Dude, there's spacecrafts in the atmosphere. There's a whole new world out there, just like Aladdin promised. All right. right. Like, there's, I don't know. Yeah. But history shows us when there's a major change in society like that, whether it's a, a army in the past marching into to somewhere people go to work a couple days later because they have to you still have to earn money you still have to eat yeah and it, but there's and overthinkers is what i'm saying there's people out there that'd be like i can't function and, and i gotta be honest some people want to go to work because then they can talk to everybody about it oh you like the hot goss around the water yeah. cooler you bet did you guys hear about these aliens yeah there'd just be a massive reduction of productivity for a few day, few weeks probably mm. yeah the numbers the stock market would decline yeah, that'd be a great time to invest. Just let it decline a little bit, invest. Well, there you go. Technologies that have something to do with aliens. Yeah. Cloning. Sure. Um, mind control. Gaming computers. Yeah. Electric fences. Sure. Yeah. For us cattle. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the whole nine. We'd be okay. After a while, maybe. I can't and, see it. But. And I, I also got to say... If you if it's say maybe ten years from now when your age group is more in power and the younger age groups are coming in, they're going to accept it a lot more because they're already used to the world throwing new things at them every two days. They're going to be out there like, "Come get me, aliens!" They're like, "Finally, I can't take the bigotry anymore." They'll they'd probably be like, "Finally, somebody's going to come and I don't know what I was going to say, but it, it wow. would just make more sense to them." And it, you know, it's the younger generations that can roll with the punches a lot better yeah they do they tend to mainly because they're always being hit but true so that's why you roll with the punches they're they're not getting hit as much as we did back in the 70s though yeah but you guys deserved it generation x so anyway that's all i have on that subject but you, i mean Clint, you heard it here first he believes in aliens now i believe doesn't mean they're aliens 
Could be humans from the future. Could be international, international, interdimensional beings. They're French aliens, guys, and they—they're here. I mean, that's why they—it's the wine. Obviously. I, I hope you like baguettes, right? <laughs> the the aliens were like, "Hey, man, that's a good year in that plane. Let's go get it." Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Do you see it's in 1924? Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Cabernet from I'm getting notes Bordeaux. of <laughs> toasted almond. Is that correct? No. And spruce. What a disgusting sounding wine. Spruce would, yeah. Toasted almond and spruce. I mean. Oh, God. Yeah, that's not the type of wine I like to drink. I like a little little chocolatey flavor in there. And I don't know how anyone tastes. This is getting way off the rails. But I don't know how anyone tastes anything in wine. It all tastes the same, dude. It, I don't get any notes in any wine I've ever had. I'm like, this tastes like, mm, yes, squished grapes, feet grapes. <laughs> I think it's like anything. You have to... uh Drink it kind of regularly. Yeah. And since I'm not a wine owl, I guess that's not going to happen. Yeah. Cause I'm like, there's certain types of wine. I can read the back of the bottle and you generally tell if I'm going to like that's it. you being tricked into knowing that or what's in there. Like they're just say shit. They're just like, oh, yeah, it's got, uh, do you like fucking black cherry? Cause it's in there too. I think some of it is though for me because I don't drink too many flavored drinks. So it's probably like my coffee's black it's flavored right now christian no that's gone i drank it already okay but can we just for someone that's always constantly talks shit about having just black coffee and then you were like i was like just a plain ass black coffee and you're like maybe something with some caramel in there because because you sounded offended by being sent to a coffee place just to get regular coffee so i'm like i gotta oh i'm not offended it's if anything it's easier for them these baristas out here goodness they mess it up half the time isn't coffee coffee in alaska something else like I don't know if other states have it, hmm. but the 50 million drive up little coffee places along the, along the roads here. Yeah, that's, uh, and I can, I can say this definitively as someone that came from Vegas, not a single one of these little coffee huts holds a candle to Dutch brothers coffee. And that's a chain, son. I disagree. Dutch bros all year. I mean, all year. that is good <laughs> coffee too, but yeah, it's fantastic coffee. And uh, that concludes the coffee segment of the spooky alien story. This, you know, this episode brought to you by coffee. Are you sleepy? <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, you know what kind of coffee I really want to try. You know, and I'm not very adventurous. Mushroom coffee. No. Yeah. Cacao coffee. No. Dung beetle coffee. Close. It's the one where the pst, the stuff. monkeys eat the beans and then poop it out. Christian, come on, man. Do you want me to get on board with that? Do you want me to say, oh, yeah, me too. I want the monkey poop coffee. Dude. I don't really want it, but but, it, but, but I yes, like you... coffee, so I have to have that experience. I know it's oh, clean, so I'm mean, okay. What do you mean it's clean, dude? They steam it. They burn it. That hey, kills everything. Did it or did it not come out of a monkey's asshole? Uh, you know, it's probably... It's... Did it or did it not come out of a monkey's... I can't argue with you. I'm just okay. putting this out there as an experience. Christian, you keep your monkey asshole coffee to yourself. Uh, We'll be right back after these messages. Do you like when monkeys shit in a cup and add it to you? Might I? No, it's fine. Anyway, back to, sorry, I was running through a whole thing there. All right. I don't know what to say. This I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you say all this stuff to close us out. Yeah, How's this kind of this got off the rails, and I'm gonna apologize if this episode, like we mainly try to keep things at around an hour, but there's been a couple breaks in here, so I honestly don't know. It's probably if it's under like 50 minutes, then just blame Christian. All right, he messes up 
nonstop and I have to cut it out. But I might stop doing that because then we have longer, <laughs> longer episodes, just 20 minutes. You'd be like, if, if, uh, uh, uh. you know, to be honest, it's OK to blame me for everything because I know because if they blamed you, it hurts your heart more than it hurts mine. It does. I'm a sensitive artist, man. And everyone must acknowledge my greatness. I'm Generation X. We don't we don't have feelings. We yeah, were, they were beat being, out of us. That's right. As it should have been. Yeah. As it should have been. You couldn't have feelings when you were left alone all day. I should have made the laughter one. That would have been even better. I can't wait to see all these sounds. I'm I'm going to load this up with actual like background tracks and like music tracks and stuff that I can use so that I don't have to spend countless hours in post-production. I'm hoping this speeds things up. Uh, your boy gets overwhelmed a little bit. As Christian mentioned, I'm kind of emotional. And uh, these things happen. So I'm hoping that this piece of equipment that I got from my buddy, John Imperial, once again, check him out on Instagram and YouTube. The guy is more successful than you will probably ever be in your life, myself included. He is quite literally a creative genius, and I love the man to death. I met him once. He was cool. He was cool. He was one of my groomsmen. No, I met him a couple times. Oh, yeah. At the baby shower. Yep. That's right. We do, yeah, run in similar circles. And I have a feeling I'll meet him again pretty soon. Yeah, probably. Maybe I'll get him on the show. I don't know if he talks about aliens and ghosts and whatnot. Probably not, but he's well, more of a tech review kind of guy. I was, I was speaking of a birthday party, maybe. Oh, yeah, perhaps. Perhaps. So shout out, John Imperial. Love you. Appreciate the hookup. Um, and again, if if things sound a little weird, working through the kinks on the, the new equipment. And I, as I did with the original stuff, I'll get knocked down at some point. Have it nailed. I'm not going to have it nailed. That sounds weird. Nail it. I'm speaking, nail it. Speaking of the original stuff. Hmm. It's, it's kind of weird to go back and hear some of our old stuff. It's very weird. Yeah. I've considered archiving the entire first season. Maybe, maybe someday. Maybe someday. So if you haven't listened to that, you should probably get in there. It's not, the quality isn't as great. Uh, I thought it was back in the day, but apparently it was not. And yeah, but go check it out before it's gone. Cause I don't know how, how much longer that's going to stay up. And I got some fun, fun episodes in there. I always like kind of. Like when I hear the beginning of a podcast, anyway, the ones yeah. I listen to. You're like, oh, the origin story. Exactly. Yeah. Everybody likes a good origin story. That's right. Yeah. Everyone likes a good Oregon story. Oh, dude. You know how you wore that Oregon Trail shirt? I do. Yesterday? Yes. Yeah. I went home and watched a trailer for a movie that came out yesterday as you were wearing the shirt mm. called Don't Die of Dysentery? No. Oh. The, the Oregon trail mm. and it looks interesting wow check check out the trailer it, it looks like something our 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 listeners would like it's like a western but it looks kind of scary well it was kind of scary christian yeah it was kind of scary well i think they did the they added some supernatural into it so i was yeah. like that's weird the same day scott wore that shirt i see this trailer for a movie that was released today <laughs> very strange indeed very strange indeed. So now back to aliens. Um, I think they exist. We'll see you next week. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, you don't have anything else for this, right? No, you should close sure. this out. I'm going to close it out then. Uh, once again, if you are new to the show or old to the show, like and subscribe. You keep wanting to say like and describe, and it's driving me up a wall, Christian. <laughs> How about like and ascribe? How about like and subscribe? Not like and subscribe. You know what? If. Find us on social media, Freaky Pod, on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Be sure to subscribe to the channel. We drop shorts, drop bonus videos. We need to do some more filming for that, by the way. 
saying this into the episode will help remind me. Um, you can also submit paranormal experiences of your own or alien encounters or abduction, whatever happened to you. We want to hear it. And please don't be nervous to send it. And I know a lot of people think that, you know, you get ridiculed or they, they, you know, hide this under a bushel basket, but that's not what we're here for. We're here to hear your creepy stories. So send those into the gang at thefreakydeaky.com. Visit the merch store. If you can take a second out of your time, review the show. It really does help us a lot. We got some good reviews on multiple platforms now. And boys, I'm going to start either posting them or giving shout outs on the show. But for the time being, if you're on Spotify, answer the question that's in the episode or the poll that's run with the episode. Just helps us get some feedback on the show in general on how to make things better for you and what you think of the episodes. So in the, in the meantime, come back next week for Listener Stories Volume 3. That's right. And if you want, get your stories in now for Volume 4, which will probably be near the end of the season. Anywho, have a good one. We'll see you right back here on the Frinky Dinky. Goodbye. Peace. I need a nap.